But man, we're so glad you're here. It's July 4th. It's a wonderful, wonderful day to be in church. Uh, I love that we can celebrate our independence on a Sunday, that July 4th falls on a Sunday. It's such a beautiful thing because, you know, as, as Americans, we celebrate our independence, but as Christians, we celebrate the freedom that God gives us too. We celebrate that every day, right? And so uh, we can kind of mingle them together today and, and merge them together and enjoy our, our freedom that we have in, in, in the natural and in the spiritual. And so uh, I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad to see the youth here. They just got back from youth camp yesterday. And uh, yeah, sent about 32 kids to youth camp and uh, had an incredible experience. And everybody came back with all their limbs and doing good. So it was a win. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God did a lot of work in their lives over the last week. And so it's good to see you guys. I know you're exhausted, but you're still here. So if you fall asleep, I'm going to forgive you. Okay. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going to call you out. That's exactly what I'm going to do. So uh, I do want to welcome everybody watching online. I know there's a lot more people watching online today that people that reached out to me and said they're going to be out of town, but they'll be watching. So uh, welcome. We're glad to have you guys too. We're thankful for technology that allows us to do this. So praise God for that. So without that, with, with no further ado, let us get into the message today. You guys ready for the word? Uh, if you have been here, you know we are in a series this summer that we're doing called People, Places, and Things. And, and the idea of this is to, we're bringing the word of God to life and, 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 and adapting it or, or causing it to produce fruit in us by revealing the people, places, and things in the word of God and, uh, and how they pertain to our life today. So we've been going through, we started in early June. We're gonna go through July in this series. And today we're gonna continue that and uh, my text verse today is out of Mark 11. In fact, if you would stand with me, please, as we read God's word together, you can look on the screens for the, for the scripture. Out of Mark 11 and verse 12 to 14. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not seasoned for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. The title of my message today is Nothing Believes. We're going to be talking about the fig tree. We're talking about a thing today, the fig tree. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we bless you today. We love you. We thank you for your wonderful, sweet presence in this place, Lord. Thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you for everybody that's watching online. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would have your way today in our lives. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come. Have your way, lead us, Lord. I pray that my words would be your words and that, that our hearts, Lord, would be soil that's fertile, that it would produce fruit in our lives for your glory and for our good, God. We thank you today and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, leaves aren't enough. Leaves aren't enough. Wow, you guys said it like you meant it. All right. So today we're gonna to talk about the character of God and how it applies in our life. You know, one of the biggest hindrances in our faith is that we, always, we don't always understand how God does things or, or why God does the things he does or, or, or how that pertains to our life, right? And there's always gonna be an aspect where we're not gonna understand everything God does because his ways are very much higher than ours. The Bible's very clear about that. But the more we understand him, the more we know him, the more we can understand what his expectations are for us in our life. Do you guys know that God has expectations for you? If you would say today that you're a follower of Jesus, there's an expectation on our life. And that's okay, that's actually a really, really good thing. But we need to understand that there are those expectations in our life. Some of you may have been raised to believe that Jesus is just nice. 
And that's what a follower of Jesus is just nice, that we just look nice, that we're just um, put up with everything and we're just always tolerant and passive. And, and, uh, and that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, that's the Jesus that society can put up with. Society likes the Jesus that's nice and, and tolerant and, uh, and, and real passive, right? It's when, we, it's when Jesus crosses over that line, he becomes Lord and Savior, where he becomes, that, that there's a standard for life, that he is holy, that he's righteous, that he's kingly, and most of all, that he is God. That's when it becomes an issue for society and even sometimes for us in our life. But he is absolutely all of those things in our life. And so we're, we're talking about the fig tree today and I wanna, I wanna kind of give a little bit of uh, context for that passage I read in Mark 11. So Jesus had just come into Jerusalem. This is his first time in Jerusalem in his adult life and in his, in, in his ministry. This was the, the Passion Week, we call it. This was the, uh, the last week of his earthly life. He was going into Jerusalem to give his life on the cross for us. And when he came into Jerusalem, you all know the story, most of you do, that they call it the triumphal entry. He came in and they were so excited that he was coming in because they thought that he was actually gonna deliver them from Roman occupation. The Romans were occupying Israel and they were under their thumb and they thought he was gonna deliver them from that. So they were excited that he was there. And he comes in and his, I think it was about his second day there. This is in the spring. This would be the end of March, early April. He's walking with his disciples and he sees this fig tree and the fig tree has leaves on it. And the thing about a fig tree is that even today, a fig tree will produce fruit before the leaves. It's the, it's the opposite of what most trees do. So if you see a fig tree with leaves, you can assume that there's gonna be fruit on it. And even though this wasn't the season for the fig tree to really produce their main fruit, that's usually in the fall. Uh, in the spring, if it has leaves, it would still produce these little small figs that weren't as good or big or juicy as the, the ones in the fall, but they were still edible and people would like to eat them. And so him seeing that tree, he could assume that it had at least had the small figs on it because it had the leaves. So he walks up and there's nothing there and you, re, you heard from the, the scripture what he did. Well, and then he went from there, they actually went into the temple. He was on his way to the temple when he walked by that tree. And if you know the story of Jesus in the temple, you know he went in and he, he, he definitely left an impression. Uh, he went in and he turned over their tables. They were exchanging money. They were selling doves. They were overcharging people for doves. And he was frustrated because this was his house. You know, and he says, my house will be a house of prayer. His, the temple was meant to be a place where people from all nations could come and pray. And they had turned it into something completely different. They turned it into a marketplace. And so he turned over the tables and, and wreaked havoc in there. And then the next day, he, they're walking again. He's walking with his disciples. And uh, in Mark 11, verse 20, it shows what happened the next day. It says, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Now this is a powerful thought to think about this, that Jesus just spoke to a tree that by all accounts was at least, it was, it was produced in leaves, so it had some health to it. And in one day, this thing was rotted from the roots. It was dead. That's pretty impressive. I mean, we, we had a tree out here in the parking lot a couple years ago, or three years ago at least, maybe four, that was hit by lightning. I was here when it happened, I heard it crash and it was, it was incredible. And this tree is still trying to hang on. It's, it's not doing well, but it's still there. And that's years ago. And Jesus just spoke the word to this tree and it, the, by the next day, Peter says, look at that, it's gone, it's completely withered. Only God can do that. That's the power of God. I mean, he made the tree so he could tell it to do whatever he wants it to do. 
And also this is Jesus's only destructive miracle we see in the, in the gospels. He, he did lots of miracles. He healed people. He, he delivered people from demons. He did all kinds of wonderful miracles, not all of which are even documented in the Bible, but even the ones we have, this is the only destructive one he did, which I think is very interesting because you know, the old Testament is full of destructive miracles. It's got the flood where, you know, the whole earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family. You got uh, burning sulfur raining down on Sodom and Gomorrah. That had to be a rough day for those people. Those were God-inspired things. And he did, there's all kinds of that stuff in the Old Testament, but in the new, there's just one and it was only taken out on a tree, which shows you God's heart. His heart is that he would be building us up, that he would be raising us up, that he would be healing, that he'd be setting us free, right? And if he's gonna do a destructive miracle, it's gonna be about a tree. But he, he did this as a way of teaching the disciples something. This was not Jesus losing his temper because he was hungry and wanted some fruit and it wasn't there. So he said, well, who are we on you? You're not gonna produce fruit ever again. It had nothing to do with that. This was the moment for him to be able to teach because he was on his way to the temple and he knew what he was getting into when he went to the temple. That was not a surprise when Jesus walked into the temple. So this fig tree was actually a metaphor of showing what was happening to the children of Israel, that they were being judged because they weren't producing fruit either. And what they were doing was actually making a mockery of his temple. And so this tree was a way for him to teach the disciples what was going on. And he also taught them about prayer through this fig tree. He said, you know, that when they were so amazed, he was showing them how they can have faith in him. And that if they pray and believe that God will do things for them as well. So it was a powerful lesson he was teaching and a really, a really neat situation. But this fig tree is not just the children of Israel. It's not just a metaphor that Jesus used 2000 years ago. There is, there is application to our life today. And that's really, we wanna know that, right? Because if it's no application to our life, it's just a cool story, but it, it, it applies to us. And we as Christians, if you are here today and you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then, then you are this tree, okay? You are a tree. You're not necessarily this tree. Hopefully we're not this tree, but we are a tree. And there's some very clear lessons we can learn about our faith and about our relationship with God through this story that we see in Mark 11. And the first thing we can learn is that God expects fruit in our lives. God expects us to produce fruit in our lives. Leaves are not enough. He, want, he wants fruit, he wanted fruit from this tree, he wants fruit from us. It's not, he's not okay with us masquerading around as if we are healthy when we're really not. Doesn't want us to pretend to be healthy. He gave everything so that we could be his, amen? And if he gave everything, he expects us to give ourselves to him and to trust him and to produce fruit in our life. He wants us to produce fruit. And you might say, well, that's Old Testament. You know, that's the old covenant when God said, you know, if you do this, I'll do this. You have to do this. You have to live by a list of rules. If you do that, I'll do this. And if you don't, then you're gonna be cursed. You know, there's then and if, blessings and curses. Well, listen, we're not, we're not talking about getting into works here, okay? This is not about trying to earn God's favor in our life. We don't produce fruit so that God will like us. Okay, God already approves of us. We, we produce fruit in our life because he approves of us, not to get him to approve of us. When we know that he has loved us and given himself for us and we are his, the, the outworking of that, the byproduct of that is us producing fruit in our life. So we don't have to stress out about, oh, am I producing enough fruit? He just really wants you to be close to him. And as we're close to him, he will work those things in our life and we will see fruit being produced in our life. And he has that expectation for us to produce that fruit. In fact, the New Testament does not weaken the argument that we are to be fruitful. It actually strengthens it because there's a big difference between the new covenant and the old. In the new covenant, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. 
If we are a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us to help us. The Bible says that in our weakness, he is made strong. That's only because he lives in us. That's only because we are his. The Old Testament, they didn't have that. The Holy Spirit was not indwelling in all of the people in the Old Testament like he is now. When he, in Acts chapter two, when he came into the earth to dwell in his people, now he's in us. So if he is in us, we have no excuse to not produce fruit in our life if we are pursuing him, if we are living for him, and if we are drawing close to him in our life. James says that, that fruit is evidence of faith in our life. The fruit is evidence of faith. We don't produce fruit because to show that, or to, to have faith, we produce fruit because we have faith. The apostle Paul says, you know, we used to be slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. Now we're slaves to obedience, he says, because of what God has done in our life. And if we are slaves to obedience, we will produce fruit in our life. And there's an expectation on us that we would. But there is a danger and there is a, there's a, there's, a, there's a dynamic of this where we can try to think, well, I have to produce fruit so that God will approve of me. And that's not what this is about. We have to be very careful to not get into works here, but that this would be a byproduct of our love for him and trusting him to live his life through us. But here's the deal, church, we have to want it. And I don't mean we just have want it like, yeah, I'll take some, but I mean, we have to want it. We have to go after it. This is where we get tripped up. Because we would all sit here and say, well, yeah, I want to have fruit in my life. But then God says, okay, well, here's how you can have it. You have to seek after him. You have to seek after his fruit in our life. Some would say that the tree doesn't have to work to produce fruit. You know, that the tree, if it's planted right and it's healthy, it's just going to produce fruit. You know, Jeremiah 17 says a tree planted by the water doesn't have to worry because it's going to produce fruit even in a drought. That's absolutely true. But that doesn't mean the tree's not doing anything. There's a lot of work going on. The roots are going in, looking for water, digging around, getting the water. The, there's stuff going on inside the trunk of the tree. There's stuff going on in the branches to, to push that fruit out and to cause that fruit to grow. There's a lot going on in this tree. It's not just sitting there expecting fruit to just come on out of it. It's actually working hard. And to think that just because we have the spirit of God living in us, we're just gonna naturally have fruit. That's a fallacy. That's a, that's a misinterpretation of who the Holy Spirit is in us. We still have to surrender to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of Christians out there that have the Holy Spirit in them that aren't showing any fruit in their life and haven't grown at all in years. So it's not that we can just sit there and expect that, well, whatever God wants me to do, he'll make it happen. We have to be surrendered to him. You know, there's something in us called the flesh there's something in us called the sin nature that's, that's always going to be something that we're going to have to manage and crucify. We have to crucify our flesh every day. I have to crucify my flesh every day. And I'm telling you, if you stop crucifying your flesh, if you stop telling your flesh it's not in charge, it will immediately jump in the driver's seat. Every time. The flesh loves nothing more than to be in the driver's seat of your car. And it'll do it. We have to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and, and living in him, and then he will produce the fruit in us. But that takes work. It's not just me saying, okay, I'm surrendered to you, God. There's effort that is involved in that, that we have to be willing to indulge ourselves in and, be, and, ha and, and provide that effort that will cause us to grow fruit in our life. It's okay to work hard to grow your faith and produce fruit. You're not negating grace by working hard in your faith. I 
say it again. You're not negating grace by working hard in your faith. You're not, you're not resisting or rejecting grace. Grace is what gives us the ability to work hard in our faith. That's why we can. It's because of the grace of God in us. His grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is the power to help us to live in such a way that we will produce fruit in our life. It's really great. Now, grace covers our sin. It covers our iniquities. It covers our weakness. And that's wonderful. We're not doing this. We're not producing fruit to get favor with God or to be a Christian or to get to go to heaven. We're producing fruit because of the grace of God in our life. And it's wonderful. And we need to understand that God, that that his expectation for us is that fruit would be produced in our life. And you might say, well, why can't God just give me fruit? Why can't you just give it to me? Why can't I just say, God, give me your fruit. Give me the fruit of the spirit. Well, have you ever been warned about the, the, uh, the prayer of praying for patience? You know, you never pray for patience unless you're ready. Because God's not a genie in a bottle that just whoop, gives you patience. You pray for patience, suddenly you're going to find yourself behind every slow driver in the CSRA. Right? Everywhere. I mean, you're going to find yourself behind drivers you didn't know existed. It's all kinds of stuff because God doesn't just give us those, that fruit in our life, he puts us in situations where that fruit can grow. He puts us in situations where we can respond well because of his spirit in us. So he doesn't just give it to us. He gives us opportunities for it to grow. And why does he do that? Again, because he wants us to seek him. He wants us to seek him, church. Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, he said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He wants us to seek him. It's not just where we sit back and let him do everything. He wants us to go after it. He wants people to want what he has for us. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Man, now I don't just have to seek. Now I have to earnestly seek. I don't even use that word. We have to diligently seek him. He's the rewarder of those who seek him. This is for Christians. This isn't about getting saved. This, is a, this letter was written to Hebrew Christians. If you want, to see, you want the rewards of God, earnestly seek him. Go after those rewards that he has for you. Because here's the deal, church, and this is gonna rock some of our theology, but God hides some of his treasures. God hides some of those things that matter the most because those are the things that are worth looking for. And he wants us to seek him. Now he doesn't hide it so that we can't find it. He hides, us, he hides it so that we will seek after it. Here's the, here's the, here's the, the, the tweetable phrase. God does not hide things from us. He hides things for us. Because they're not for everybody. The, the treasures of God, the beautiful rewards of God, the fruit of God in our life is not for everybody. It's for those who would go after it. It's for those who would be determined to go and find it. And you don't have to take my word for it. In Matthew 13, 44, this is Jesus. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, let me stop right there. Anytime Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, you really want to pay attention because he's about to give you a little nugget, a little secret about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. If, if the treasures of God, if the gifts of God, if the rewards of God are just for everybody, they would be laying out in the field for all of us to see. They had to go and search for it and get it. Jesus himself told his disciples that when he, he spoke in parables all the time, we know that, right? He spoke in parables. There was an aspect of that that it was, he did it because it, was, it kept people engaged. It's easier when you tell stories to keep people engaged, right? But, but a big reason he did it, and he told his disciples this, I speak in parables basically so that those that don't care won't get it because he wants people that are hungry for him. He wants people that will seek after him. He wants people with hearts that are after him. And he basically spoke in parables so that those that, that didn't care wouldn't get it because it's not for everybody. It's for those that will come after him, for those that will seek him. In Matthew 7, 14, Jesus said, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. We have to find it. We have to find that narrow road that leads. Now he's not trying to hide salvation from people, but he wants people that want it. He wants people that are willing to go and look for it. He said, you seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. So he's not hiding it so that we don't find it. He's hiding it so we will find it. Seek and you'll find. Knock. That word knock there implies pounding on the door. He says, knock and it'll be open. I mean, he's not going to withhold from us. He wants to give it to us. He, he's waiting to open the door. He's just looking for people that will come and find him and find what he has for us. We can't just have the mindset that God, if God wants us to know and wants to give us these things, that he'll just force it upon us and he'll just figure it out and it'll just happen. We can't have that mindset. We have to be proactive as well in our faith. In fact, you think about the story of the prodigal son, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible because it shows the heart of our God. But there's something we miss in this so often. It's so easy to miss. The prodigal son story, if you don't know it, there's a son that says, I want my inheritance early. I want to go do my thing. And the father reluctantly gives it to him. He goes off, spends it all, wastes it in sin, doing all kinds of lasciviousness. He's starving to death because he ran out of money. And he finally comes to his senses and he says, man, I can go home and ask my dad just to let me be a servant in his house. He said, the servants in our house have more to eat than they need. So he comes back and he's walking down the road. And it says the father saw him a long way off and the father ran out to him and embraced him and welcomed him back, not to be a servant in his house, but he welcomed him back as a son. He gave him the robe and the sandals and the ring and they killed the fattened calf. It was a big party because he came back. Beautiful story. But do you ever wonder to think about the fact that the father didn't go get the son while he was still living in his sinful lifestyle? Why didn't the father after a couple weeks look at his wife and say, you know what, I'm going to get my son. I know he's up to no good. I'm gonna go get him because this is where he needs to be. He needs to be home. And I'm not coming back without him. He didn't do that, did he? You know why? Because the father wants the son to want to be there. And once he knew the son wanted to be there, he was still a long way off. Him being able to see him come and made him know he wants to be here. When he knows he wants to be here, he didn't wait for him. He didn't lock the door and say, you're gonna have to pay some penance, son. He busted through the door and went and got him. That's our heavenly father. But it was because the son wanted to be there. The son knew the need that he had. And because of that, the father said, you're mine. And he didn't hide anything from him. He didn't just make him come in and be a servant. He gave him everything. He gave him the rights of a child of this father. And that's who he is. Another lesson we learned from this fig tree is that leaves are not fruit. These leaves represent a facade. They represent posturing. They represent 
looking the part, but not living the life. I know none of us have ever done that. We're all really good, upstanding citizens of heaven here. Probably we're doing this for the people watching online though. They probably haven't lived as good as we have, right? Uh, No, I'm just kidding. We've all done this. We've all looked the part and not lived the life, right? Thank God Jesus doesn't judge us like he did that tree, right? But at the same time, he's not okay with us uh, having a, a facade and posturing in our life. This tree looked healthy from a distance, didn't it? Because it had the leaves. In fact, you could even say in some ways it fooled Jesus. Jesus went up to it hoping to get some fruit and it didn't have it. So from a distance, we can look healthy even when we have no fruit in our life. And there will always, always be temptations in our life to put up pretenses because we're never where we want to be fully. We're always dealing with the things in our life that, that seem to consistently come our way. I talked last week a little bit about authenticity and how important that is. And this next generation, you know, they, they want authenticity desperately in life. But, you know, in the church, it's easy for us to leave authenticity out in the parking lot and, and come in and put on the facade like we got it all together. You know, and we know how, what to say and how to talk. And we know how to we know how to show our leaves off, even if there's no fruit, because it's scary to let people look past the leaves, isn't it? It's scary. And I'm not saying we should be letting everybody know all of our business. But we also know when we're being fake. We also know when we're just nothing but leaves and we're not letting anybody know it. And we're saying and doing all the things that make us look like we've got tons of fruit in our life. When in reality, maybe we're really struggling in our life. And what that does is it makes us a hypocrite. The H word, right? Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Nobody wants to be associated with one either. You know, we could point out hypocrisy in somebody else incredibly easy. I mean, and it's, it's a deal breaker in a lot of situations. A lot of relationships have been dissolved because of hypocrisy. Uh, family members have been cut off because of hypocrisy. Marriages have failed because of hypocrisy. Business relationships. You may have even left a job because your boss was such a hypocrite, right? We don't like to be part of somebody that's hypocritical, yet it's a, it's a tension and a challenge for each and every one of us too. In fact, in some way, one way or another, we're all hypocrites at times. We all struggle with acting like we have fruit when we don't. And here's the deal, church. It's one thing to lack fruit. It's another thing to fake it and act like you do. You know, that tree faked it. If that tree had no leaves and it was obvious it was struggling, they might've worked with it. You know, Jesus might've said, hey, somebody needs to get in here and cultivate the ground around this a little bit, give this thing some water, do something. Let's try to help it out. But because it had the facade of the leaves, it had no chance and it was ended up being destroyed. You know, the Pharisees fake fruit made Jesus's blood boil. (laughs) He, He challenged them and rebuked them all the time because of their hypocrisy. But God can work with us when we are weak, when we are broken, when we are struggling, when we are open with him about where we're at. The Bible is very clear. Jesus will never reject us, never reject us. In fact, it's the Bible tells us about Jesus. It says a bruised reed, he will not break and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. You're saying there's something that's struggling. He's not going to, not going to knock it over and snuff it out. He's going to help, but we have to come to him with transparency and honesty. It's hilarious because the idea that we can actually hide stuff from God is ridiculous anyway, but yet we all do it. We don't talk about it with God because maybe if I don't talk about it. He won't think about it. And we're fooling ourselves and we're hurting 
ourselves. He also said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your burdens. Come to me with your brokenness. Come to me with all of your struggles. And if you do that, if you come to me with those and bring those to me, I'll actually give you rest. I'll actually do a lot in your life. But if you come to me and act like you got it all together, you're just a tree with leaves and no fruit. And Jesus would say, you can come to me with all those issues, but don't come to me with just leaves. Don't come to me with this facade because he does not like hypocrisy any more than we do. And he wants us to be real and open. Now here, here's the deal though, church. Fruit is not about perfection, okay? I'm not saying here we should, we should look a certain way and we should just have this fruit. We should just be these bustling trees glowing with leaves and fruit all over them, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. We are an imperfect people. And everybody said, amen. amen. All of us, from the stage to the back, we are all imperfect. God forbid that we would be a church of all the got it together people, all the perfect people that, that look at and, and have everything nice and shiny and sharp and we're all together. That's not the church we wanna be. That's not, there's no such thing because even when it, when, that, when it has that look, it's a pretense because there's no such thing. And let me tell you, we wanna be a church for people that are far from God too. Not just people that are close to God and we're gonna be this little Christian club. We wanna be about people that don't know God and are far from God. And, and when those people come into a church and everybody looks perfect, they either feel unworthy or they go ahead and put their leaves up too and act like they got it together as well. We, want, we are a church full of people that are, we're all in this together. We're all working through it. We're loving Jesus and growing as much as we can. We're taking our next step in our relationship with him, but there's no perfect people in here. And it starts right here with me. My wife can tell you very, very quickly and clearly how unperfect I am, but she loves me anyway, thank God. But we're not meant to be perfect. We're meant to be growing in our relationship. We're not about, it's, if, if you've only been a Christian for a week, you're not expected to have big apples hanging on your tree. You know, you're not supposed to have as much fruit when you're a new Christian as you are when you're somebody that's been saved for 50 years. We're growing and we learn, trees are the same way. A new tree doesn't produce as much fruit as a tree that's more mature. So God's not pressuring us into saying like, you should have more fruit. You gotta look like this other person over here. He just wants us to be growing in our life every day. I wanna just mention to you briefly, you know, there's a fallacy in the church that as long as we're loyal to God, that we're good. There's a confusion there that loyalty is the same thing as faithfulness and that that would produce fruit in our life. I wanna tell you today, loyalty and faithfulness are not the same thing. Loyalty is an aspect of faithfulness, but it's just one spoke in the wheel. And we often confuse that even in, in society. You know, you'll hear people say that somebody's been faithful in their marriage. Well, when you hear that, we all automatically think the same thing. Oh, that means they didn't step out and have an illicit relationship with somebody outside of the marriage, right? Well, that's only one aspect of faithfulness. I think we can all agree, especially the married people in here, if the only thing that mattered about faithfulness in marriage was that your spouse didn't sleep around, there's still a lot of other areas that we need to be faithful. There's a lot of other areas. And so that loyalty of like, you're the only person I'm in this relationship with, that's a part of it, but that's also not all of it. That's not enough. We can't say, we can't equate loyalty to God with faithfulness. Just showing up, just being there and having his back. If you're in an argument with somebody that doesn't believe like you do and being loyal to your God, that's not the same thing as faithfulness. That's just one part of being faithful. You know, the tree was loyal. The tree was there, it was, showed up every day, 
It never left. Actually, it would just stay right there. And it, it did some things that would be required of a tree to be loyal to what it was supposed to do, but it wasn't faithful. Loyalty is just leaves. Faithfulness actually produces fruit. This tree was not just supposed to produce leaves. It was supposed to produce fruit. And faithfulness is the evidence, or fruitfulness is the evidence of faithfulness. Fruitfulness is the evidence of faithfulness in our life. Jesus gave another parable about faithfulness and what it looks like. And it's in Matthew 25. And it's, it's a story where he says that, this is a parable, and he says there's, there's a master that was going on a long trip and he had some servants and he brought three of his best servants and stood them in front of him and gave them each some of his money to take care of for him while he was gone. He gave the first guy five talents. A talent was a measure of money. He gave the second guy two talents and he gave the third guy one talent. And it says that he went away on a long trip and he was gone for a while. And when he came back, he brought these three servants in front of him again. And he said, show me what you've done with what I gave you. And the first servant gave him 10 talents back. He said, you give me five, I've turned it into 10. The second one said, you've gave me two, I've turned it into four. And he said the same thing to both those servants. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Because they were working to add to what the master had given them, right? And he was calling them faithful servants. So then the third guy comes up and he had the one talent. And he said, well, he said, basically, well, here, I actually got the verse here. I'm gonna read it to you. In Matthew 25, verse 24 and 25, it says, then the man who had received the one talent came Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. So he gave it back to the man. And I won't read the rest of this, but basically what the master says to him, he says, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, if you know this story and you've read your Bible a lot and you've read this many times, you don't think much of it when you read this. You're like, yeah, that, that guy with the one talent though. But you know, when you, you try to look at this with fresh eyes, you look at that, you go, man, what was so horrible about what he did? He was loyal. He didn't try to steal the money. He was honest. He was careful with it. He buried it so he wouldn't lose it. Made sure it was there for the master when he came back. He just gave him back what he gave him. Like, man, what was so horrible? I mean, it actually tells him to cast him out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth, basically sending him to hell. Like, man, that's pretty harsh, right? He was loyal. But the thing is here is that we're not expected to just be loyal. We're not expected to just take what God has given us and keep it to ourselves. We're expected for what God has given us, whatever that talent is, whatever that gifting he has put in you, we are expected to use that to help expand his kingdom. He wants us to be part of expanding his kingdom. That doesn't mean we have to be getting people saved all the time, but it means we have to be faithful with what he's given us. And when we are, that will produce fruit. And Jesus says in this parable, this is a parable about himself. He's saying, We're not, I'm not okay with you taking what I've given you and just kind of sitting there with it. I need you to work for your faith. Work to do the things that I have called you to do. Loyalty is not enough in this situation. We're expected to be fruitful. So the third and final lesson we learned from this for today at least, is that the roots affect the whole tree. If the roots are good, a tree can take a lot from mother nature, right? That the roots of that tree out in the parking lot must be pretty good because it's still standing after what it took. And you know, we have lots of plants and stuff in our yard that some of it you have to cut down to the ground every year. You know, the lantanas, you 
cut those down and then summer comes and they explode, you know? And they just go crazy. And every year you cut them down, the next year they come back bigger and better. But it's because the roots are good. And the roots affect the whole tree. They affect the whole plant, whatever it is. In fact, Jesus talked about in Matthew 13, he talks about the soil of the heart. He gives the, the analogy of, of uh, five different kinds of soil that we have, that our heart is one of five different kinds of soil. And that when the word is sown, when, when we hear the word of God, when, when the message of God is preached, the gospel is preached to us, that, that's one of five responses that we're probably going to have with it. And one of them is that if your soil is shallow and has rocks in it, you'll receive the word and that, that word sprouts up quickly. But when the sun comes and the heat comes and the trials of life come, it withers away because there's no root. It's all about the root. It's making sure we have good soil so that the root can flourish in our life. And this fig tree, the Bible says it withered from the roots. It wasn't just that the leaves fell off, the tree actually withered. That means this tree was destroyed. And let me tell you today, church, the, our roots, the condition of our roots means everything. It means everything. The condition of our roots. In fact, Paul talks about this in Colossians 2, in verses 6 to 8. Look at what he says here. He says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. And if we're rooted and built up in him, this is what will happen. We'll be strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Anybody want to be strengthened in your faith and overflowing with thankfulness? I know I do. Then he says, see to it. Everyone say, see to it. Be intentional. Take care to do this. That no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. All right, so when we are rooted in him, he tells us here that we will be strengthened in our faith and we will be overflowing with thankfulness rooted in him, not just like casually sitting there, but we're rooted in him. That means we are intentional about our commitment, about our submission and our relationship to Jesus. We're rooted in him. He says that the, we will, uh, our, our faith will be strengthened. We will overflow in thankfulness. Let me tell you, you don't see anything here about, well, if you're rooted in him and you really love him, life's going to be really great. It's always going to be 72 degrees and sunny. Everything's going to be optimal for you to grow perfectly. Doesn't say that. We know that people that love Jesus have tragedy in their life all the time. They have trauma in their life all the time. Bad things are gonna happen in this world because we live in a fallen world because there is sin in the world. So until we get to heaven, we're not gonna expect any perfection. So being rooted in him doesn't mean your life's gonna be perfect and that God's gonna put a shield around you and nothing's gonna happen. What it means is that your faith is gonna be built so when those things come, you're still gonna be able to overflow with thankfulness. What a beautiful promise. That's why when you see people that are solid in their faith and love Jesus and trauma happens in their life, they're still praising Jesus. That's why you see pictures of Pastor Bowen on, uh, laying in a hospital bed with his arms up in the air praising Jesus. Because you don't have to have a perfect situation to be thankful and to love God. You love him because of who he is in you, but you have to be rooted in him. And so Paul goes on here to tell us that we have to be careful, see to it that you don't fall into these traps of being rooted in human tradition or principles of the world. What is that? What is human tradition? Well, he's talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians. So he's talking about tradition in church. He said, don't, don't be rooted in tradition. Don't let there be traditions in how you worship that are sacred cows that can't be touched. And you might say, well, what, is, what does that look like? What's a tradition that we shouldn't be rooted in in our life? 
Traditions are all the things in church that mean a lot to us, but mean nothing to Jesus. That's what that is. And I, that can be anything for any one of us, whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not bashing on tradition in church. I love tradition. I love the way we do services. I love all the stuff. I love the baptism. I love communion. I love it all. But when we are rooted in those things and not him, we are being deceived because that's not where it is. What that is, is a spirit of religion. And I have a very, very sensitive radar to the spirit of religion because I grew up in it. And I was a victim of it. I'm gonna call myself a victim of the spirit of religion because I gave myself to it. But I, was, I suffered under a spirit of religion for a long, long time. And I have been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ from that. And I am thankful for it today. But what that also means is I have no tolerance for it. I have no tolerance for it because the spirit of religion is the most dangerous thing in the church today. It's more dangerous than greed. It's more dangerous than lust. It's more dangerous than idolatry. It's more dangerous than anything else because the spirit of religion is leaves on a tree because you look like you got it all together because you look like the part, but you're not really living it because you're just worried about trying to make things look the way they're supposed to look. That is nothing more than religion. It is an evil, evil spirit from the pit of hell. And Paul is warning us against this. Do not be taken captive by this deceptive philosophy that it has to look a certain way. Don't get caught up in human traditions because that is not fruit. That is a facade. And then he says, don't get caught up in the principles of this world. Well, that's even, that's another level because that's not even leaves on the tree. That's a barren tree, but a barren tree that doesn't care that it's barren because the principles of this world don't care about God. They're not concerned about him. They're not concerned about living for him. They're not concerned about any of his principles unless it's the nice part of Jesus. They don't want anything to do with it. They just want what they want. And so Paul's telling us, do not get caught up in this. See to it that you are not deceived by these things. So how do we produce fruit in our life? Well, I kind of shared a little bit. We give ourselves to the Holy Spirit and let him do his work in us. We commit to him. But here's the, there's a very clear cut verse in the words of Jesus that I love so much. In fact, it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, John 15. It talks about Jesus being the vine, we're the branches and how we are to remain in him. In fact, I'll read verse five. It says, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is, this is everything right here in one sentence. It tells us who we are and it tells us what we are to do. And he tells us what will happen if we do it. It's very simple. He says, you're not the, you're not the, the root, you're not the trunk, he is. And our job is to stay connected to him. We are branches, so we stay connected to him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So just being loyal and being there by the trunk is not enough. We gotta be connected to it. He says, remain in me. What does that look like? That is about an intimate relationship with Jesus. That is, that is the furthest thing from religion. That is not about trying to look like a Christian looks. That is about in the quiet place, getting with him, staying in his word, Reading, reading the word. Youth, you guys had an incredible experience this week. I know you did, I heard all the stories. And I'm telling, I know you guys are jacked up and excited. And I said it last week, you're gonna, in the next day or two, you're gonna start feeling like, eh, was it real? Did anything really even happen? The enemy's gonna come at you and try to keep you right here. Get in your Bible, start reading it. If you just read a chapter, whatever you gotta do to keep the lies of the enemy out of your head, you gotta do it. 
Because remaining in him is not about just a mountaintop experience you have in a week at a youth camp. It is about the day in and day out living for him, giving yourself to him, trusting him with your life. That is how you will produce fruit in your life, is if we remain in him. Jesus tells us here that being a branch is not just about being a branch, it's about being a branch that bears fruit. Being a branch isn't enough. Because he even says in here, he's like, you know, he tells the, the, uh, the Jews, they're like, well, you know, we're, we're Abraham's children. You know, we're part of the family of God. And Jesus is like, that doesn't mean anything. God can raise up anybody here. And so he says, if you're a branch and you're grafted in to the kingdom of God, you can't brag about that either because God can cut that branch off if he wants to. It's all about staying connected to him. And the way to stay connected to him is not just by coming to church on Sunday morning. It's about living your life for Jesus. It's about committing to him. It's about working hard in your faith. And that's okay to do. It doesn't make you a religious worker. It makes you somebody that's just responding to the favor and the approval that you already got from your God. Amen? All right, well, stand with me and I'll, uh, I'll pray us out of here today. Praise God. We serve a really, really awesome God that loves us more than we ever could even imagine or deserve. And I just wanna pray for us today. You know, the, the thing is, if you're here today and you'd say, man, this is all good, but I don't even think I'm a Christian. That's okay. Because you're that smoldering wick that Jesus says, I will not snuff it out. If you're not a Christian, you're not, you don't have the leaves on the tree either. You're actually a barren tree. And I said earlier, Jesus can work with that. When we come to him in our brokenness, he says, I will in no ways cast you out when you come to him. Because what he did for us is not for some elite group. It's for anyone that will come and call upon the name of the Lord. Anyone that will give their life to him. The salvation starts by us coming to him and saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. I believe you came to this earth and you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross and you rose again three days later and you are now in heaven at the right hand of the Father praying for me. And the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's the beginning of your salvation journey. Our salvation is not transactional. It's not just about checking a box and saying, okay, I'm good, but that's the beginning of it. It's the beginning of walking this life with Jesus. And every one of us in here that's a Christian had, that, had to have that moment too. We had to come to that place where we said, okay, I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm gonna let you in the driver's seat, Lord. And you can do that today and you will immediately be in the family of God. And then we walk that out every day. Today is the day of our salvation. But if you're here today and you say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a tree with a lot of leaves, but the fruit's probably missing. That's okay too. It's about coming in with our brokenness, coming to him in our, in our, in our need, in our weakness, because in our weakness, he's made strong. So just commit that to him today as we pray. Just open your heart to him. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do love you today. We thank you for your word, that it gives life, that it sets us free, that it is everything we need, Lord. We thank you for the gospel today. We thank you that you came and died for us, that you loved us so much that you weren't gonna let that chasm that separated us from you to, to continue to separate us, but you made a way so that we could be in a relationship with you. God, I pray for everyone here today and listening online that doesn't know you as their Lord, that they would not go another moment without giving their lives to you. I pray their hearts were touched in a way that they would surrender their lives to you and let you produce fruit in their life. God, we just pray for every person, every one of us that's a follower of yours, that you would help us to produce fruit in our life. Help us not be afraid to work to produce fruit. Help us, not to, help us to reject hypocrisy, to reject 
human tradition to reject the things of this world and to trust you and to be found in you and surrender to you completely and totally and to watch you do your work in our lives, God. Lord, we repent for not crucifying our flesh. We repent for not for wanting to do things our own way. And we commit to giving ourselves to you today, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins to you. We thank you for that today, Lord. I wanna read this prayer over you today, church, out of Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our lives, Lord God. For your glory, Jesus, we wanna see you glorified in our lives. Be lifted high, Lord. It's all about you, Jesus. We give ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you that we get to be your vessels. Help us to live lives worthy of the calling that you have put on each and every one of us. For your glory, Lord. Thank you, God. We worship you today, Lord. We worship you and we honor you. Hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise God. Well, he's good, isn't he?